gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 94, the review segment for Friday, November 6, 2015. Ba-da-bum. Ba-da-da-da-da. Anybody else? <laughs> no, I wanted to hear more of your take on that oh, because it was already off the rails. <laughs> Wait, David was jump- joining me. Come on. Do, what was yours, David? Do, do, do. Ba-da-ba-da. Ba-da-ba-da. ba <laughs> Good, guys. We did it. So we're reviewing Spectre. Uh, <laughs> Which is a Mission Impossible Mission movie. Mission Impossible movie, obviously, as you can tell by the theme song. Uh, yeah, it might be Daniel Craig's last James Bond movie. It might not. Uh, it's probably Sam Mendes' last James Bond movie, is my guess. I hope so. Um, well, we'll get into that, I guess. Uh, it is kind of a more direct sequel to Skyfall than I guess I was expecting. This, uh, As we discussed earlier this week, the uh, James Bond movies have been very into con- being continuous with each other so you see a lot of the fallout from skyfall in this movie uh but it's also you know a james bond movie there's globe trotting there's a villain there's a elaborate set pieces there's a couple of women in amazing dresses who he sleeps with uh there's q and money penny and m uh the new m played by ray fines kind of all getting involved in the action uh i don't know is that do you need more setup for a james bond movie than that anything anything i'm leaving out before well, we i think get it into is discussion? important i think it is important to it set up where James Bond's been left at the end of Skyfall, you know, okay. he's um, MI six is in disarray. They've been they're kind of being incorporated into MI five with this guy they refer to as C. I believe his real name is Max. Max, um, played by well, Andrew let's Scott. Well, he, slow he down for one. He's on Sherlock. Slow down for one second because I think that before we get any further. Uh, it, you're talking about a Bond sequel, at, like it's casual, like this is something that we should come to expect. It's mind-boggling to me. Until the first sequence in Quantum of Solace, there was no such thing as a Bond sequel. Uh, and suddenly, with one shot of them popping the trunk of his Aston Martin and revealing Mr. White being in there in the opening sequence of Quantum of Solace, they had the most radical reinvention of the characters since uh, George Lazenby replaced Sean Connery. And now, two movies later, you're like, well, let's let let's set up what's happening in the Bond universe. It's madness. It's madness that <laughs> well, I kind of like, but like you're very glib to just brush it off. Like this is something it's, that's it's not been it's not total madness because of the slow build that you're talking about. But also because you're incorrect in stating there hasn't been. There haven't been sequels. There hasn't been tethering in these movies, correct. as we discussed earlier this no, week. No, I am very correct. No, you're incorrect. I'm you're incorrect. I, I'm, let the record show. Either of you like to cite an example of what you're talking well, about. Yes, whenever, whenever Bond's say, so. wife, whenever Bond's dead wife gets brought up, I was just watching The Spy Who Loves Me uh, with Roger Moore, and they reference directly his dead wife, which happens in... Oh, there are passing references. That's a less yes. Well, that's the same thing as it is. Oh, it is not at all remotely the same thing as what they're doing. And let me tell you, no, but it's not the same thing as what's happening between Skyfall and Spectre. But you're not you're not regarding it as a gradual build. They had written it as a direct sequel to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. (laughs) You know, building a movie of Bond grieving for his assassinated wife, and then at the very last second, they scrapped it all entirely. And yes, I'm glad you 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 read Wikipedia here. Set the tone for. James Bond for 50 years 
uh, and now we are in an entirely different era. Show some respect when you're setting up Spectre. You're you're out of your mind. You're you're way overanalyzing that portion because we've been gradually brought to this moment where Skyfall and Spectre are are tethered this closely by Sam Mendes, by someone who wants to be making kind of serialized stories. Uh, you can tell from Skyfall. You don't even need the other two Bond films or the other two Daniel Craig movies to know that he's telling a deeper story or or has the ambition to do that. Uh, I don't think it's radical what they're doing here. And it's just the mode, as we discussed earlier this year, we're, we're making Bond films of the era. That's what Bond does. It reflects the times. And to to uh, call this monumental is, is no, it's out uh, of what control they because it's just reflecting what happens in 2015 filmmaking. Usual. Uh, we have not at all discussed the quality of this movie. You guys are already Patches shouting Patches was doing an uh, uh, incomplete job of setting it up. It does matter. It, nothing matters more to this movie, nothing, than how Bond reflects on mythology and, uh, you know, serialized storytelling. There is nothing that is more important to this movie. No, listen, if you if you're interested in the rest of this conversation, you haven't listened to this week's main episode, you should listen to more because there's a lot of talk about continuity in the Bond movies that everyone's very passionate about, obviously. So, David, what happens to Spectre? Tell me what's important. I don't know. <laughs> no. um, Spectre is important for, I mean, the, the, the who goes where for what is all irrelevant. I mean, Bond is on the trail of something because of something. Um, I remember, but it's best discovered for yourself. Uh, not that it is at all that significant. Um, he eventually gets thrown together with Leia Sudu, who plays, uh, I don't want to reveal who she plays, but... Um, uh, a woman with pl- uh, connections to a criminal in Bond. Sure. Cast, how's that? Um, but what is important is that half, oh, really from the start, but especially once this movie reaches its halfway point, uh, it becomes about turning the entire Daniel Craig era of James Bond films into one discrete narrative whole, like a, a run of a comic book, as we discussed on this week's main episode. Um, it, it becomes all about. Not raising interesting new questions, but just about uh, trying to suffocate the last three movies with context uh, in order to bring a story that had never really been told to a close. To me, it feels um, – and and this is as much as I want to say about the plot choices in the second half – but it feels like they asked people to make uh, an amazing – pasta dish or something out of breadcrumbs uh and they just sort of were doing the best they could um and uh but that's all that's all you have to really know is that any questions that you've asked while watching either casino royale quantum of solace or skyfall this movie in its own feeble way attempts to answer and that is the plot more than anything else see i think you're making it sound like it's one of those online fan theories about how all everything is connected to each other and you know chris pratt and Jurassic i agree World is the case I, but i don't think it's like that i, I mean i think that the extent of the plot, especially when it gets into kind of a big global organization that's been behind everything, it's boring. And it, it doesn't deal with that kind of ridiculousness of that kind of plot the, as well as it does with some other vestigial old Bond things that it's playing with in a really nice way here. So I agree that it's not that satisfying that it's trying to tie everything together, but I don't think you're watching it strain. It's not so overly concerned with questions from the previous movies. <sighs> I am heartbroken. Well, that that's... I, I kind of agree with you, and, and I don't like the film that much, but, you know, David dwelling on the fact that it's a sequel, it's a kind of lousy sequel because it's very individual and it's not concerned with kind of the grand scheme that's go, that's playing in the background. It really does not care what happened in Quantum of Solace at all. It's really just another Bond movie where he's going from place to place 
set piece to set piece and occasionally circles back to and I, it really was, is, is forced as, out our throats. It's like Xerox copies of characters faces that we've yeah. seen in the past, like pasted onto walls. And it's like, oh, yes, this ha- this is the culmination of something. Yeah. I mean, v- Vesper Lynn showing back up in this. Yeah, exactly. But she's been well, but not even no, like I mean, barely. They, she's referenced. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, she's she's, she's, uh, she's she and well, a number of other characters from the bond from the Daniel Craig run are featured in the opening credits. I'm just saying uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel tenor, like that much of a sequel because. Bond's escapades, the the story that you're David that you're saying doesn't really matter. Like whatever he's chasing, no it just doesn't. It's it's still very individual and in a vacuum. It doesn't feel like a I sequel. I agree with the. I agree with uh, the effect that it had on you. I could not disagree more about it not feeling like a sequel. As you could probably tell from the tenor of my voice, I was deeply hurt by this movie in a way that uh, I seldom can be by a big franchise film because I have a much deeper investment into Bond films and in particular the Daniel Craig Bond films than I do um, pretty much any other huge franchise going. Uh, I think that these are, Spectre included, for better or worse, you know, probably the best run of James Bond films that we've had in uh, our lifetimes and, and probably ever will. Uh, and I was devastated by how feeble a job this movie did trying to service that, especially after the first 90 minutes of this are top shelf triple A bond. I mean, I, it's everything that I loved about Skyfall. It's everything about sort of the Hoyt Van Hoytema doing his best to ape Roger Deakins, classy, um, stylish homage with genuine pathos seeping throughout that Sam Mendes perfected for me uh, with, with Skyfall right off the bat. I wish and we could agree on this part. Oh, whatever. And, I, uh, I think I'm with you, David. I mean, from the first, from the uh, awesome first sequence in the movie, which is this big homage to Orson Welles, uh, which is one of the few times in the movie that they're not bending over backwards to pay homage to uh, previous James Bond films. Why do you think it's a direct um, homage to Orson Welles? I'm curious. To I mean, it's a because bomb of the streets? going off in Mexico. I mean, in touch of, in a five minute tracking shot that moves in a way is not identical but very similar to the opening of touch of evil i mean i guess I it just feels like is, uh, there's not there aren't many places for bond to go and the themes of the movie took them to day of the dead and they've set it in mexico it just doesn't feel like that direct it's such a strange bond. bond film i mean it starts with a title card that says the dead are that alive is so weird uh, it is weird <laughs> yeah um but uh anyway i was so high on this movie for its first half and then there's a great classic vintage Bond fight on a train, um, which is with a very underwritten henchman played by Dave Bautista. And um, literally as soon as that is over, the movie just shits the bed, um, which is which is and and it shits it hard. And it's not even when the when the movie begins to fail itself narratively, the filmmaking follows suit in that none of the action, uh, none of the places that go, none of the things that are said are at all compelling in the second half. And it's funny because if you are inclined, as I regrettably was, to go and read the emails that came out to the Sony hack about Spectre, all of the studio suits are saying that the first 100 pages of the movie are great, and then it completely shits the pen, it evaporates, and um, they... The script was written in such a way that they protected various spoilers, but um, all it was clear that the structure and characters were all in place, and to a man or a woman, all of them were saying that this movie has major, major problems when it's transitioning from the second to the third act. And it's, you know, one of those 
damning examples where it was the suits who absolutely got it right. Mm. Uh, and um, it, it was very, very painful for me to see them so arduously try to uh, answer all these questions and really bring a greater meaning to to four bomb movies when skyfall which feels like a sequel but is really when you consider it a standalone film um or at least it was at the time did this so well uh i was just so upset by how this movie see i uh, i out. said earlier that i agree with you and that i was really dazzled by the first half of it but i think it, it the wheels fell off a little bit earlier for me there's a big scene where Bond infiltrates kind of an evil meeting in, in this big Roman building that I think he goes felt, to eyes wide shut. Yeah, basically it, it felt <laughs> with a more uh, international and devious plotting. Uh, but I, I feel like it slowed down a little bit then. And then I but I didn't feel like the wheels fell off as visibly as they did for you. I really enjoyed this movie basically throughout. I don't think it's as good as Skyfall. I think I went in not hoping it would be as good as Skyfall. I think expectations served me a little well. I really love Skyfall. and uh, So good. Yeah, it's really good. But I, I've heard some people, or I think uh, Richard Lawson, who reviewed it, my colleague who reviewed it at Vanity Fair, said it kind of like tarnished. It was like an unnecessary sequel that kind of makes you regret. Like it felt like staying too long and like overstaying the welcome of Skyfall. And it didn't feel like that to me. Like it feels like a not as good a sequel, but it doesn't harm the Daniel Craig Bond legacy for me in any way. And that includes all the effort that the plot is making to tie everything together. I, I mean, Christoph Waltz emerges as the villain later in the film, and he kind of is more involved in all that stuff. And I agree that the you know his plot doesn't necessarily make that much sense in the larger scheme, but I liked him as a villain. I think he's a good Bond villain. I was happy to have him there. Like, the particulars of it kept me engaged, even when kind of the larger structure of it, I, even though it does have those script problems you were saying, David... I think it overcomes but, them with a lot of the style. But and think the about how quickly, you know, the, the whole crux of this bond is about his relationship with, with two women, women in particular, M, who is addressed mostly in Skyfall, and Vesper from Casino Royale, uh, who has proved that Bond can bleed, essentially, and has left the scar on him. He immediately falls, not immediately, it's been a few movies, but I mean, like, she is very present, even in this film, and in one case, quite literally, in those opening credits, and then, with like, two scenes of not-so-witty repartee, falls in love with Leia Sado, and it's just like, well, I'm good. <laughs> and I don't know. Like, it, it, it seemed it, like a big like betrayal said, of been, the things that it, they had set up for this bond. It's been three movies, I mean... He, uh, well, Quantum of Solace took place the next day, first of all. Oh, God, that's <laughs> and, stupid. And uh, Skyfall was all about another woman who was a maternal figure for him. He had sex with other women in Skyfall. Of course, it's a Bond film, but it's clear throughout that movie and sort of uh, and the, it, its tone and its very sort of uh, sad and dark overtones that he is still very much haunted by the events from Casino Royale. Uh, and that continues over into this one. It begins with the dead are alive. I mean, yeah, but Vesper looms large. And, and yet, and yet, and yet. Like, I, ugh. I feel like any self-help group would tell you you're allowed to move on from the dead. But anyway, like that, again, did not feel that important to me because no. of the overall structure of what the movie was doing. I mean, but Patches, you think that, but you didn't like the movie that much. So where did it fall, fall apart for you? It just, it felt really incoherent from beginning to end for me like none of the thematic stuff works in a way that did work even in quantum of solace i was feeling the vespers absence and, and that connection this arc for daniel craig's bond um and skyfall you know the continuation of that story 
that the ghosts haunt that movie much more than Spectre, where they're kind of again forced into the picture. Oh shit! Because it's called Spectre, mm. but like Spectre, mm. like Inspector, like I was saying earlier. This like Inspector um, Gadget, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, uh, so that's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting too that these guys. So John Logan, who wrote Skyfall, wrote Spectre as well. Uh, he's, I think, he's worked with Sam Mendes several times. But these guys, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, have written all the screenplays since I think the Brosnan era. Era they were writing uh, Bond screenplays. Like it, it, it's interesting why these movies fluctuate. And this one might come down to editing. Like there might be so much meat on this bone. I just found it really choppy and really incoherent. Like I wanted to see more of this opening that you were describing, David. This oh, I was just going to say, I didn't feel the editing to be a problem here. I feel like all of the movie's problems are really in the screenplay. Well, I can't say for sure because, you know, what I like about this movie is Monica Bellucci's character. She comes full force in this scene where she's at, she's at a funeral, bonded her meat. There's a lot of chemistry there, a lot of charisma. And then her part is just completely cut short for no other reason than he disposes of her, which I guess is Wait, in you Bond's don't think that, character. But Yeah, you don't think that just like, I mean, I feel like we've seen so many women in Bond movies do that exact thing where they show up for one pivotal scene and then they're not in the rest of the movie. Yeah, but we're kind of like, beyond that right she's such an interesting personality or like two or three scenes i uh, i don't know i mean i guess strawberry fields in uh quanto solace had just a few <laughs> scenes but again she she plays an important role i don't really monica bellucci just kind of hands off one piece of information which is also completely mystifying she just doesn't get to be a real character she's not challenging bond in a real way i don't think you didn't like the scene where uh where they make out I did, actually. Uh, I was thinking, you know, there's been, as I mentioned earlier this week, that uh, Daniel Craig keeps going into interviews talking about how Bond's a misogynist. And yet I thought it was really sexy. I thought their scene was, like, pretty hot. Uh, yeah, in a good way. An and it's she wants thing. it. And he wants yeah. it. It's great. And they're the it's same age. Scene. That's good. You know, it's, yeah. it's a great hot scene. But I wanted more of that. Like, I want to see her and him go out on this movie, for at least for a few scenes, like, to investigate something. I just feel like nothing is happening in all these scenes. I actually wrote in my notes. I'm just like, this is boring. Like, I, I, there's a big car chase, kind of a third way into the movie between Daniel Craig and Jinx, the uh, Dave Bautista character, oh. and um, like nothing happens in it. And I, I know that what? it's probably really difficult to make car chases interesting, but it's just like so flaccid, and they kind of inject comedy into it, and that didn't really work for me, even though I. I think Daniel Craig can be funny and because of his charisma, because of his kind of wry attitude. Uh, but it just does. It's none of it was playing for me. Um, and I think the best scene in the movie is the kind of downhill chase in Austria, uh, recalling spy who loved me. But uh, again, when it's recalling things and it's not kind of living on its own, this whole movie is homage. As David mentioned, it's just like, it's, it's trying to be the culmination of Daniel Craig's arc. Plus, the culmination of like every Bond movie ever made. And it's yeah. so muddled. Like what is the purpose of this movie to kind of keep stuffing in references and keep stuffing in tropes? It's just, it does, it has Again, no it point. Sounds like, the movie starts with no point. It sounds like screenwriting no issues to me. But, yeah, but uh, I feel like there's so much, uh, There, it feels like there's no room to breathe. Like he never gets a moment to 
like they end up him and Leia Sadu end up in this hotel where they're kind of recalling history and they discover this room where there's going to be lots of secrets and they're going to discover stuff. No idea what's the happening. room is the room is no totally idea. a wasted opportunity. However, but like that's that the kind of moment where many, maybe there's more in that that they describe. But they cut I, it all I think off. that I there know. are a lot of those. I know you don't like talking about that, that work. <laughs> well. I think there are a lot of moments in the movie that um, that do what you accuse the movie of not doing. Uh, I think that the problem is that when the movie makes those mistakes, they're a lot more glaring. But I think in the, in, earlier in that same scene, when he's playing with a mouse mm-hmm. in his hotel room, it's a lovely character moment. I think of just a shot that has no dialogue whatsoever when he and Leo Sado are waiting at the train station in the middle of the desert. And that is a scene that goes on for probably a minute that many other films would have condensed into five seconds Mm -hmm. um, and you get time to breathe. I think the movie is full of that. It's what Sam Mendes brings to the table. I just think that the scenes that don't work in that regard are more glaring because they're so much more important uh, to the story. And I think that the room scene that you reference is a perfect example. Like that should be a critical moment both to this film and to the overall Daniel Craig Bond mythology, and it's insane how quickly they gloss over it. Yeah, I don't think argue. I agree with the the, tr- the train station bit. That's just like hanging on for go the sake on. of the plot. I don't really find much uh, cinematic value in in them. Oh, standing. Go on. It's, a it's shot. in it's in the Sam uh, Smith video. You can go <laughs> I, on YouTube right now. I have you can watch it. Uh, it's beautiful, and that song I should that add song has is gotten awful. A, no, I disagree. No. I thought I was thought so at first. Um, but I think, especially in context of the movie, uh, it ain't bad. Mm. It ain't bad. I thought the I'm kind of growing. I mean, it's no Skyfall, but like it also the bar is. pretty fucking I, high. Well, that's like the that's the theme of the movie. It's no Skyfall, but which I yeah. I feel like it's no Skyfall, but it's fine. And I think uh, you guys are more. I also didn't find uh, it that beautiful. You were talking about um, Hoytema kind of mimicking uh, Roger Deakins and. I, I found the cinematography to be kind of flat and repetitive. I was surprised that Mexico, Rome, and uh, Tajir, uh where do they go? Uh, they go uh, to the Morocco? Tangiers. Yeah, Tangiers. Um, Tangiers. Tangiers was actually, they all look kind of dusty and the same to me. Um, and, and Austria was the big, you know, the snowy sides. Or uh, is he in Austria? Where do they? Yeah, they're in Austria. Austria is like there's a beautiful pond scene that kind of starts really looking like Skyfall for a second. And then the uh, the 20 some odd minute action sequence at the end, which is all set in the most generic nighttime, you know, boringness right. imaginable. It's, it's extremely mm. stale. And I don't know what. And how many times is he going to look at that fucking net? Uh, you know, it just feels like Koitama's <laughs> style was going for something grittier, like really trying to shift gears away from Skyfall in a way. Um, but Sam Mendes was playing back into what he had established before in terms of how he's going to stage action, how he's going to make these character mo- uh, moments move. And I don't know, it just felt in conflict. And then, oh shit, I just uh, <laughs> I'm shooting my cat I away. That, uh, Wait, I just want to say one I, one other thing. Um, it, and it felt really pe- repetitive and all kind of clashing with one another. And especially, and of course I'm going to harp on this, like Thomas Newman's score I thought was awful. And I thought he did a really good job kind of playing up the themes and injecting his own personality into the Skyfall score. And here it's like overly Thomas Newman-y but never knowing when to go action or when to go like just aping Shawshank again or aping American Beauty again. I just like – I thought that was a mess and it was really working against the film. It was, it was interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, talking about Sam Mendes and, and Skyfall and whatnot, uh, I agree that Sam Mendes is probably not going to come back and, you know, whatever. Maybe Daniel Craig will. Maybe he won't. Contractually, it certainly seems like he probably will. Wait, I thought uh, but, he didn't have a contract and therefore could No, walk he's away. contracted for one more movie and he's also a producer in some of the films and there's just, just a lot. He's just trying to be as anti-Bond as possible in the press so well, they'll get rid of him? he also, we're talking about one interview he gave to Time Out London uh, that he conducted. No, we're not. We're talking, the there's several, they, several. There's one in Esquire UK. He just did one. Um, oh God, there's a, there's there are several. There are definitely several. Where And he was just as pissy yeah. and all? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, he's never whatever. been graded interviews in his. I mean, but uh, it also seems part of the marketing home. campaign for this movie to be like, this is final. That's anyway, true. I think that the, the ideal circumstance might actually be for Skyfall lovers such as Katie and myself that Sam Mendes and Daniel Craig make one more Bond movie that functions as a standalone. Um, yeah, and now, you know. This is the kind of movie, it says James Bond will return at the end of the credits, and you, you sort of think to yourself, how? I mean, it, so much is resolved. There are so few loose ends that uh, it would have to be a standalone, or they have to just start over. Do you, uh, does anyone else secretly want Ray Fiennes to be Bond next? Like, moves from as <laughs> from M to Bond? I don't know. I feel like I love Ray I did Fiennes like them. Movies. It's interesting how much Bond seems to have drawn maybe from Mission Impossible with the team aspect. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Well, I'm a little disappointed, too. Uh, I, we got a lot of Ray Fiennes in this. Ray Fiennes and... Um, ben Wishaw. Yeah, Ben Wishaw is, is Q. No uh, money penny. Like we, uh, yeah. Naomi Harris does not get a great like shootout moment or anything cool after doing so much in Skyfall. I, I have a, well, who knows how things play out, but I, I just feel like people asking for Idris Elba to be the next Bond is one of those things that is too, too real not to happen. Huh. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that assuming they are they get to the point where they want to reboot Bond the next five years uh, that he's probably... Wait, what does that have to do with Money Penny? I don't know. I was just thinking about the future of Bond. Um, But Money Penny... Money Penny's in this and and he calls her during that car chase that bored you. But really, their relationship in Bond terms is over very early in the movie where she... I mean, Money Penny and Bond have always had a flirtatious relationship long before Naomi Harris. But they have sex in Skyfall. No, they don't. And then... They don't? They definitely do not. They kind of flirt with each other, uh, oh, but don't never have mind. Sex. Strike my comment for the record. <laughs> Damn, David, you think yourself? You think you're a Skyfall stand? They don't have I And maybe I've just, I, I've just been shipping, <laughs> uh, shipping in my head, I guess, for years. Yeah, no, they started def- to become they, real. They flirt real hard, uh, but then he goes home with the uh, the girl. Oh God, the French lady. Yes, right after she Harry talks Bardem. about her childhood her in sexual, sexual abuse, uh, abuse. he's like, "I know the the perfect cure I know for exactly that." Exactly. I'm going to show up in the shower <laughs> yeah, without being invited. I'm just going to waltz the into sex your scenes shower. The in this movie are much more equal than that. I'll give him that. Yes, this this the sex scene between he and well, I'll, I'll just agree with patches. I'll just say that they're, they're all brief but erotically done. Mm, that's maybe the first time anyone's ever said the word We are living in the podcast. Fifty Shades of Grey Bond era. <laughs> yes. So I have a question for you guys before we wrap it up. Uh, we didn't really talk about Christoph Waltz very much at all. I said that I liked him a lot. Uh, did either of you guys have a strong opinion on him? Well, he's barely in yes. the movie. Yes. Which is very strange. I mean, he's kind of looming over it all. We see his picture 
a lot. Um, a picture of a young version of him. And I, I dug him. I mean, I David, I think you mentioned on our episode earlier this week that he's kind of just the quintessential Bond villain already. You know? <laughs> he, oh, he, yeah. he was born to play a Bond villain, which means he, he probably shouldn't. Um, exactly. But he's so, I've been saying this for like two yeah, years. But he's so <laughs> devilish. And I think the problem is he doesn't have a good mission. He doesn't have anything to do. Just like this whole movie doesn't seem to be about anything. Um, the, I, in the end, Spectre really feels tired to me because, again, it's playing on, on a, a very contemporary theme. Surveillance. You know, it, this, this is the Snowden era. We don't need the double O program anymore because we have... Uh, bugs in everyone's phones and cameras everywhere um and that just feels you know overdone i think mission impossible had had covered that base and born covers that base and lots of movies cover that base and then and and then if that's uh, christoph wald's grand plan in some design it's just it feels very overdone and he has nothing to add he has nothing to give it's just like what does it have to do with the specter and like the the organization their story and, and how they tie into James Bond's past. The answer is nothing. Really nothing. Really nothing. And I'm still – we just saw it like two days ago and I don't understand. Like the boardroom scene that Katie's describing, they talk and talk and I have absolutely no idea what the fuck yeah, they're talking they talk about. I, I did enjoy how comically evil – Spectre is that felt like a nice homage to the silliness of old Bond, where they're just like, "Yes, we have uh, hidden the, you know, we've deprived all of the poor people in, in yeah. South Africa." I like from thinking the, of the lady, the lady <laughs> speaking German, as a shout out to Frau Farbissner in uh, the Austin yeah. Powers movies. Yeah, um, I, I, Spectre was good old Spectre for their one moment in the sun. Well, um, so the, I mean, yeah, talking about Spectre, I think. I can't remember if we talked about this on the show or if I just talked about this with other people. The idea that Mendes and Craig come back for one more Bond movie that's kind of lower stakes and isn't about global surveillance and isn't about anything like post-Snowden era. It's just kind of a like a simple, like like fast five, like a really local level uh, plot. Like that feels to me like the way to kind of continue Bond in this modern era before you have to start all over again. And yet Spectre is dying to be that movie. Like let Christoph Waltz be a bag... Big that let Christoph Waltz be a big bad guy and have one of these kind of Pierston, Pierce Brosnan era, just ludicrous. I don't know if it's a laser satellite. I don't know if he's drilling into the middle of the, you know, the core of the earth, whatever. Like, let him just be really silly and crazy and let Daniel Craig kick his ass. It's so well, convoluted been... because of theme and character. Oh, well, I think they could have also gone the other way and just said, let Christoph Waltz and his character be as maniacally obsessed with ruining James Bond's life as he claims to be in the trailers. Mm. You know, I am the author of all your pain. He says this line, it's sort of in passing, uh, and and you know that clearly making James Bond suffer is very important to him. This should have been uh, but, single white female, but with... <laughs> no, but it's, it's not... He There's like a torture scene in the trailer. I mean, like he doesn't... Why does he have a master plan that involves not fucking James Bond shit up if that's what's really important to him? It just distracts from this being uh, a character-driven Bond movie as the previous Daniel Craig Bond. Yeah, I mean, we did see a really effective uh, villain with a personal grudge with Harvey Bardem and Skyfall, so it does feel not quite as well executed as that. I just wanted this whole movie to be the train fight. There's a great train fight, which, again, is Really just an homage to uh, From Russia with Love. 
But um, and that's great. I mean, like, really why, works why well. not have a train fight in a Bond film? Why not have these these staples uh, and put their own spin on them? I love it. I, I love that stuff. It's that's not the problem here. Um, but the problem is is the meshing it like. The problem. Okay, so we're coming up on the 25th. Maybe they should have saved all the references for the 25th Bond movie. Just make it one long standalone escapade where we're hitting every single trope and every fan servicey moment. But like doing it while you're trying to tell a legitimate story with Spectre and and also confronting Bond's themes. Like the problem with the train scene is that it can't just be a great fight. We're not in the middle of an investigation. We're also in the middle of a conversation between James Bond and Leia Seydoux uh, about why James Bond is in the 007 program to begin with. I feel like we've had that conversation in every single one of Daniel Craig's movies, and he's never had an mm-hmm. answer. Because even Inspector, he's like, well, you know, and I it's just, just do. I mean, you, you or Katie said something about photocopies earlier, and that's exactly what – if that scene is an homage to anything, it's the scene where he meets Vesper on a train in Casino Royale. Mm. And they immediately start talking about how they're both orphans and uh, his ass, but that's less relevant. Mm. And no, uh, always, all, these, all these other things. And this is an echo of that scene, but it – but it feels, you know, a photocopy is a better word for it. I mean, it feels like a lesser version of something we've already seen before and not that long ago. Uh, although it is insane to think that Skyfall, I mean, that uh, Casino Royale came out nine We're years ago. Getting old, uh, getting oh old. Death comes but, first. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the spe- Spectre has a lot of problems into itself. It does not help that uh, regardless of just how high you are on Skyfall, it's pretty clear that they set the bar maybe too high with this run of Bond. I should say, too, um, like, as a lifelong Bond fan, there's always something to get out of these movies. I enjoy Spectre on some level just seeing the stunt work and watching. I think Daniel Craig is a great Bond. We walked out of the theater. Katie and I saw this movie together. We walked out of the theater, and a lot of people were like, okay, hang up your hat, Daniel Craig. It's over. You're an asshole, and you're no fun to watch because you're, you're sobbing the whole time or something. I think he's great fun. He's a badass. I love him. Yeah, I would. Um, and he's good at physical comedy he too. Can I mean, there do are it. two. When yeah. Katie mentioned to me earlier about a great sight gag in uh, the opening sequence, I was thinking of a completely different sight gag because yeah. there are there's, several there's great several sight gags. Several great sight gags in the opening sequence. It's true. Every uh, every. So. <laughs> I just want to see an entire movie where. Daniel Craig's James Bond is either in an explosion or being shot at. He gets roughed up and then he stands up and adjusts his tie. Like yeah. 18 versions of that in one movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's so, he does it so well. Like the movies start looking more like commercials because Daniel Craig is in them and he's so perfect at hitting oh. every like blocking bit of and ironically the commercial that's been playing constantly of him right, driving boat. that yeah. boat looks nothing like daniel craig <laughs> it looks like they i mean there's some very wonky cg happening in there with a the stand-in I mean, they got him for a uh, heineken commercial come on uh, i, I also so. saw a commercial for that watch that's kind of a pivotal plot point that uh was just it's hilarious it's like basically you're like oh yeah that entire movie was just a built-in ad for this watch <laughs> mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of stuff in the bottom anyway specter yeah you'll see it Go see it. Why not? Still a lot better than Mission Impossible 5. I mean, Whoa. Yikes. It's probably not a better movie, but it's just so much richer and more meaningful to me. I mean, it's almost definitely not a better movie, but uh, it will. Uh, it means a lot more to me. Katie, so. you really liked Spectre, so. Yeah, I like Spectre. I mean, again, I'm still a, a Skyfall head in the end, but uh, I, I, there's not much else. 
I don't know. I would not tell anyone not to see Spectre. I enjoyed it immensely. I think Daniel Craig is a great Bond, like we were saying. I think Sam Mendes has a really great grip on the tone, um, except for when it comes to the like trying to make the villains a little fun. That part is a little hard, but Christoph Waltz makes it fun. I don't know. Like I like Spectre. And, so sue uh, me. I'm going to shut down my Rory Kinnear fan site after this movie. Oh, no. That bad. Meat hands. Don't you know I call you Meat Hands? From the backyard to the beach sands. I'm the one who calls you sweet Meat Hands. Meat Hands. The hands of meat that make my feet dance. If you want to cook them, we can It's such a dream to know you I cooked a meal for you Yes, I adore you, my sweet meat hands Hey, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of Peanuts which I don't think any of us were able to catch. No. No? David, no peanuts for no, you? No, but it sounds it sounds adorable. I'm sure it'll be cute. Um, or you can just watch the specials, which they're playing in repeat till the end of the holiday season. Uh, yeah. In honor of peanuts, what comic strip should they make into a movie? And uh, Dave said that we could not pick Calvin and Hobbes, which I'm not even sure. How do you do Calvin and Hobbes as a movie? Why would, why would you not pick that? No one I wants that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, David, what's your pick? Uh, I am going to go with Ben Krogan at Krogan Master, who says Garfield minus Garfield. Hmm. Does that count? I don't know if that counts, but that was my go-to answer. Uh, And I would watch that movie, if only because there's no way that it wouldn't be better than the Garfield movies with Garfield. (laughs) Yeah. Passion, what about you? I am going to go with uh, at Joe Bowen who said, I think the world is ready for a Marmaduke reboot. And since I saw the original Marmaduke in theaters, I can I sure say did too. that we do need a Marmaduke reboot because that movie's already dated. He plays like Dance Dance Revolution with a bunch of other dogs. And today it would be something different, you know? Yeah, man. You really got to keep these Rock Marmaduke band or what, what are the kids track. playing today? What no. would Marmaduke play? I don't know. Would play, Readers, uh, or listeners, please tell us. Big what Buck Hunter. Would... Big Buck Hunter at a bar. He's going to be drunk with his other dog pals after they play poker. And he'll be playing well, Big sounds, Buck Hunter. That sounds super plausible. Uh, I am going with Jacob Hall, who said, Patches, I think what you said as well, but I just wanted to repeat it. Far Side, 80 minutes of varied, preposterous, 30-second comedy sketches all filmed in one static shot. <laughs> it's like uh, movie 43, but good. I think that's more like Roy Anderson. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yes. It's the, the even weirder pigeon sound on a branch reflecting on existence. So, David, would be your favorite movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We will be back next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. What job do I have? This was my, I don't know. Actually, today was my last day at Esquire. And then on Monday, wow. I'm starting a new job. I'm going to be the uh, entertainment editor of Thrillist.com, which should be fun. So follow that or something. More information soon, as soon as I figure out 
what the hell is what going on. What your job is. Yeah, exactly. If you, it's uh, possible that if you find Patches on the street wandering aimlessly. I have a job. You, you need to remind job. him that he has a job. Yes, go to work, mm. you fool. Uh, <laughs> and keep up on what I'm doing at Mr. Patches, which is me on Twitter. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am a staff writer at Rolling Stone. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And I'm Katie Rich. I'm staying put at VanityFair.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs>